It could have been a lot better. Oh, that bit hurts. It could have been slightly better written. Why are there no signs for the exit? Not only that, but it was also very cliched. Oh, that bit really hurts. Where's the exit? It was very routine, running up and down okay. corridors and okay, silly monsters. This way out. Um, but I still felt that that story was fairly um, boring. Somebody needs to have a big rethink. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back Beyond the Sofa. I'm Dave. And I'm Peter. And we're here to look at Series 11, Episodes 5, 6, and 7 of Doctor Who. Hooray! Yes, indeed. That's uh, the Turanga Conundrum, Demons of the Punjab, and Kablam. Most automatic pack title since <laughs> Gary Russell wanted to have clack. <laughs> clack. Also, dear listener, uh, we are recording this barely days after the 55th anniversary, which makes me feel very old. <laughs> it's the 30th anniversary of Silver Nemesis Day. Oh, God. <laughs> well, uh, even more um, amazing, um, recently announced or today, I'm sure it's been announced earlier than today, I only noticed it today, hmm. Tom Baker is releasing a novel of Doctor Who meets Scratchman. Yes, they kept that quiet. I think um, sort of labouring under the the false flag of James Goss writing it up all this time. It was uh, it was Tom and Ian. I'm sure Ian well, Martyr should get a, a, a ticket in there somewhere. But hey. yeah, I guess I guess one name's bigger than the other these days. Anything for the anniversary for you, Peter? Oh, they actually passed me by. I missed it. I um, sort of blinked. What did I do for the anniversary? I uh, I baited the new Who fan in the office <laughs> by saying Happy Anniversary. <laughs> she looked at me completely blanking, and I said. It's the 55th anniversary of Doctor Who. And <laughs> she said, oh, that's it. And I said, yeah. Of course, the anniversary actually fell on the same day as the terrestrial airing of Kablam, but we didn't actually watch it in the house on the same mm. day, but you could have, which was a nice thing. I'm trying to think as to whether that was possible with previous years, but of course, the big one was actually Silver Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Jason Gunn 30 years ago with Thingy. I feel ancient. Yeah, famously or infamously, we got, uh, do we get episode two or episode one before the rest of the world or something like that? Well, at least we've got episode three. Must have got episode three. Mm, it was one of the episodes. Mm, mm. Devilishly important. But here we are. No Cybermen, no Daleks to uh, to usher in the 55th anniversary. Just the Chibnall master plan of uh, new things and solo stories and no great arc. And... Peter, but things can only get better. Mm, that better. <laughs> With that, shall we leap into the Saranga Conundrum, which had everyone in New Zealand reaching for their atlas going, I'm sure they've got a typo in Tauranga somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a right or wrong way to wear a Saranga? I don't know. I've got to admit, it's actually quite a forgettable title. I'm in making my notes, because we've jumped to doing three episodes, just mm. because of the way life has affected us recently, I actually had to go and look up the episode title because it has so little to do with the actual story. When I was convincing my kids to watch it, I called it Doctor Who in the Space Hospital. Mm, Pating from another world. Yep. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Stranger Pating's. Oh, dear. Uh, It started off as a curiosity in a junkyard. Well, this week's social issue is landmine awareness. Yeah. 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 That's a funny old way to start things, really, isn't it? The insistence that we don't need to have the TARDIS mix, it sort of seemed like, well, was this a story that was sort of planned for earlier in the series? If the hunt for the TARDIS was a plot point? Well, how would they have got there? I mean, my my son's observation when he was watching it was, what, they've lost the TARDIS again? And it's Mm. it's sort of like, well, yeah, that is a staple of Doctor Who, but yeah. Although I must actually at this point issue an apology to all my listeners because 
last episode we did, I sort of made a comment about my worries about a ditzy post-regenerative doctor carrying on, and I think we're over that. So I'm going to conundrum, I was actually watching that going, right, I think we've finally landed and gelled into Whittaker's doctor. It seems a bit less squiffy, and there's that lovely scene with uh, the self-awareness of, oh, I am being a bit nasty and a bit cruel and a bit aggressive. So yeah, that, was, that was good, I mm. thought. Well, you certainly would expect a level of equilibrium by this stage in the series. Uh, Siranga, of course, is the halfway point. It is, yes. It, 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 I think it was quite surprising it sort of went on this long, but yeah, as I've said before, I've been surprised by late Doctor Landings to date. Mm. But I'm going to put my cards on the table. I didn't actually mind Saronga Conundrum. I quite enjoyed it. And it was the perfect antidote to my daughter watching it after throwing a hissy fit with an episode full of giant spiders. <laughs> yeah, no such problems in this house. It was fine. I think the Batang was probably the highlight. Mm. It certainly livened things up. And actually, the missus didn't really mind Yoss, the father-to-be. Mm-hmm as a bit of comic relief, but all of the other characters just sort of blended into one another and didn't make much of an impression. I thought the guest cast acted very well. I thought Astos was potential companion material, quite capable and smart, and, okay, cannon fodder, Toasty McToastface, possibly, but, yeah, the Pating, I think, is the elephant of the room because, let's be honest, it is Futurama's nibbler. It is. This is not... The first story of, of this show where I've sort of thought to myself, not only could this have been done in previous stories by other people, but I think I've probably had a go at a story like this, which is not a badge of a good story, <laughs> really, really. But I thought back in the day when everybody was uh, was having a go at some sort of spin-off video, I remember toying with the idea of a script of basically an astronaut in an escape pod stuck in there with the cyber mat, which is just munching away at the cables. Mm. somewhere in the in the wainscoting and thought yeah you could actually build up a lot of tension with that and you don't necessarily need to see it all you need to do is hear it of course Tsuranga you get to see and know about the pitting very very early on and actually I don't think there was very much tension at all in the episode I don't think it's an episode designed for us I think it's meant to be a good old-fashioned romp which wears its influences on its sleeve even mm-hmm. down to doing an Ellen Ripley and throwing the monster out of an airlock hmm uh, I thought it was actually more of a character piece. You had you had the ability for all the cast to do their thing. I think the companions each had a nice little slot of time each, although arguably is there enough in the whole episode for three of them? I don't know. Although if Clara did all three, we would have bitched and moaned about it was the Clara show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a good average episode. It was solid entertainment for the kids. And I thought it had lots of nice little points with Bradley Walsh doing call the midwife shoutouts. I did like the are you also experiencing comprehension deficiency line because I thought it was such a simple story anyway. Yeah, um, no, it, it didn't make a big, make a big impression on me. I think the groans started inwardly when I, you know, when the the doctor sort of comes in and when she's talking to Cicero Senior and mm. she's sort of saying, oh, the, there must be a chapter on you somewhere. And the doctor says, oh, a volume, actually. It's just sort of, oh, we're going to have this again. You know, we're going to mm. have the sort of, I'm the doctor, look me up speeches, which I never liked. Never, never liked. It was always, to me, a, a repudiation of the old idea of the doctor being a mysterious traveler in time mm. and space, not the famous traveler in time mm. and space. You know, that, that element of celebrity really just... This was a buzzkill for me. Oh, okay. No, but look, beyond that, I really don't have very much 
to say about the Tsuranga conundrum. I think you know the the robot was a bit of a budget shop data. <laughs> the antimatter drive was interesting. I did like the bit, maybe a bit wordy, about engineering hope via imagination. I thought that was nice. Mm. And I could see it as a paper-thin comedy character, but the pregnant man and his view on uh, human pregnancy, and ick, that's all the weird, Mm. was suitably alien, even if he looked pretty pedestrianly terrestrial. Yeah, but even the sort of the, you know, the the weird name for the baby was just like a recycled Mister Copper from Voyage of the Damned. Ho ho! People in the future don't understand the present. But again, for the target audience, Voyage of the Damned is not a recent episode. True, very true. It's the equivalent of a jumping on prog for 2000 AD, where they wipe the bases clean and any new watchers can leap on and get the instant feel of this is a base under siege, even if the base is a rocket ship. You see, I think that's actually a couple of stories along from here where I was thinking it was a, it was a jumping on story. But maybe, you know, we'll cover that later. But, um, okay. Speaking of having division lines and opinion... <laughs> segway, segway. The Demons of the Punjab, uh, Vinay Patel. This week's issue is religious intolerance and ethnic cleansing. Well, significantly, of course, it's, it's the second, if we're going to say pseudo-historical, of this season. And consensus appears to be that the historicals were pretty much the stronger ones. I thought it was actually better executed than the Rosa Parks episode, though basically telling the same story about the inevitability of history and how there are some things you can't change or shouldn't change if you're a time traveller, no matter how much it hurts. Yes, yes, cue another story I had a go at writing <laughs> some time ago. That one got published, but never mind. <laughs> Again, we're talking about a big bootstraps reboot of the series. Yeah. So in, the only thing weird about it is the fact that you've had the same sort of story with Rosa this season. Sort of. You know, it seems to be alternating spacey story, weird earthbound story, futuristic story, yeah. uh, historical story. Yeah. Of course, um, the, the other Rose connection is that this is elements of Father's Day as well. But with that historical background, you know, history is immutable. God, it's Aztecs. But there is a, a real world historical context to it which i was quite interested in i don't know very much about the indian partition no, at all no, uh, no. and it's a really interesting period in history to, to cover yes it by extension it's british history but it's global history which we haven't had well it's a bit of british history that in the time of brexit mm. people might be looking at a bit more introvertedly i don't know it's a there's a context there that we're probably missing on the other side of the planet mm. it pinged a few sort of old bugbears me like what is the time travel mechanic in the story is does Yaz's mum actually remember Yaz mm-hmm. apparently not oh, Yaz's it's grandmother isn't it oh sorry grandmother sorry yes she must have been an age I was trying to work out how old she'd be yeah I was trying to do that so we're talking about was it 47 yep so it's 70 years ago yep and she may have been 17 18 yes makes her 88 yeah, well-preserved 88. Yeah, which makes Yaz's mum maybe in her 50s? Yeah, yeah. Yaz in her 20s? It's, it's, it, yeah, the it's, maths it's can right. work. Yeah. But I, I did stop and, and doodle some numbers on the back of a piece of paper at one point just, mm. to, just to try and make it work in my head. Mm. But the reason I, I, I'm trying to get my head around the time travel aspect is because does the doctor actually do anything? Well, I think this is something we may need to talk about 
overall a little later now that we're part way through the the season and again going back to that idea of are we now at a stable pattern for Jodie Whittaker's doctor is this the kind of doctor that she is I, I've read and heard comparisons uh, of her to say Peter Davison where she's an enabler but she's not necessarily the person at the middle of the story and when it comes to historicals I actually don't mind that one of the hmm. things I, that did sort of rub me the wrong way of the likes of, say, the Shakespeare Code, which is a, a really rough comparison to a story yeah. like this, is the, the the idea of, you know, not just the Doctor meeting historical celebrities, but the Doctor sort of almost becoming a historical celebrity himself mm. through right. his actions. And I quite liked the aspect of Demons of the Punjab, as well as Rosa, in that it allows history to literally tell its own story. So if the mm. doctor takes a step back and we learn a little bit, a bit of something, we're not sending kids off to write in their school assignments that this happened and that happened and then the doctor mm. <laughs> intervened, yeah. then that's got to be a good thing. We're not quite sort of going down Sidney Newman's remit of, you know, it must be educational, but there's certainly... Uh... Oh, no, I think this is the most educational the series has possibly been. Again, mm. you can argue it's this or Rosa. Mm being the more educational, but they're both up there, yeah. especially if it's... We haven't actually finished watching Demons of the Punjab in my, our house because that was we watched them out of order. Mm. But Rosa definitely prompted some discussions and conversations with the kids, which is good. Mm. Oh, God, so you don't know the, how the, you don't know how it ends. <laughs> I do. I'm not sure if the kids do. Okay. But if it's not giant spiders, they're up for it. Mm. <laughs> okay, not giant spiders. But alien beasties, what did you think of the... Uh... The aliens of this episode. I thought the aliens were really well put together. Mm. I liked the fact that there's a bit of ambiguity as to who actually are the demons of the Punjab. I don't think there is any ambiguity. The humans are the demons of the Punjab. But uh, having said that, though, I really was not at all convinced by um, Manish's betrayal. You know, he puts on his evil glasses and he's the bad guy. Yeah. There did seem to be a bit of a disconnect there. It did seem to be, oh, hang on, we've got to have families divided. I know what we'll do. It was, it was pretty much a, you know, the train has to arrive at the station. Mm. That would be my only real yeah. complaint about this. Well, actually, I have another little complaint about the story, but continuity question. Mm. Right at the start of the story, the grandmother's family home was in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end of the story, it was on the wrong side of the border in India. Having been in India, you mean? Her mother says when they put put the flags up to show where the border is, mm. you've, put, you've put my house in Pakistan. Mm. Then it, towards the end of the story, she says, I'm not leaving here. My family are buried here, referring to the, where they were standing in India. Now, it's possible that the, the house cuts across the land and mm. and the house is on one side and the, the, the family plot is on the other. But the two farms sort of merge into one. Although there is another solution to that, which... Yeah, um, they're all related, which makes it even worse. Mm. Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way. That's not the point the story is trying to make, but there was just something a bit, a bit mm. futzy there. The other weird question is, if the aliens only come to look at those who die alone, if you're murdered, don't you have company? You're referring to Prem? Yes. Well, presumably he's shot and then just left. Well, I don't know. For very stealthy alien assassins... Mm. Prem seems to be, be the point where they get caught out twice. <laughs> and and um, um, the priest. Yeah. The holy man. Yeah. Wasn't alone. Someone shot him. And if you're preparing the body for burial and you're wondering how he died, wouldn't you notice a gunshot wound? Ah, oh, well. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm nitpicking. I'm poking holes at what is a lovely story. 
one of the best stories of the season, I think. All I can think of is, is sort of a, with a hand wave, all of these um, could be explained by someone being mortally wounded and then abandoned. I can get that, and I, I follow what you're saying, and that would fit with the brother as well, but it just seemed, for the three deaths in the story mm. that the aliens come to observe, they were observed observing every time. Mm. I guess, sorry, that's the other thing, just referring to the sadhu. He's up against a tree, isn't he, when they mm. find him? So presumably he wasn't put up against a tree and shot. Someone arranged him there. He might have been having a sit. Or he may have found his way there. But, mm. man, this is a really grim thing. <laughs> 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 I get me a toss over. On a happier note, did you get a Douglas Adams vibe off the aliens who, uh, what was it, like wow banger, the infinitely prolonged, visiting all life in the universe to insult them? <laughs> sort of. That's uh, life, the universe and everything, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I never yeah. fully read that one. I was a very, uh, very irresponsible Adams reader. I know who you're referring to, though. <laughs> nice explanation of the telepathic circuits. Shorthand for a technology that's really beyond your ken. That'll do. And are the Death-Eyed Turtle Army the Shalonians? Well, that was my first thought, but that's definitely got to be a headcanon thing because I don't know how much of a fan Vinay Patel is of the writings of Gareth Roberts or even the new adventures. It's quite a stretch. I know they get mentioned in, what is it, Pandorica, but eh. <laughs> it was very cinematic. I did like it. Yep. The Doctor's haircut seemed to change between scenes, which oh, I thought was weird. The things you pick up, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I, I'm with you until cinematic. It was, it was beautiful. There were some lovely cutaways to just nature getting on with itself. You know, mm. silhouettes of, of gently blowing stalks of grass and all that kind of stuff. It was mm. lyrical. It was really, really nice and definite great direction. Jamie Childs in this one, who I think did uh, The Woman Who Fell. Oh, possibly, yeah. Uh, and it was filmed in Spain, as far as I can tell. Yes, the south of Spain. Very nice. Yeah. Look, for all my whinging and nitpicking, I, I'd say it was one of the pick of the season so far. Yep, definitely emotional heft there. And, and actually, mm. uh, you know, the last scenes of the TARDIS team basically just walking away and, and things unfolding behind them. Yeah, that's heavy stuff. <laughs> it is. My family haven't seen it. I'm not sure how it will go down. Mm. I made them watch Kablam first because I needed to see it again to review it. Sure. Speaking of ending with a bang. Yes, yes indeed. Kablam. Pete McTie, writing, and uh, Jennifer Perrault, the director of uh, Tsuranga Conundrum. And we learn about corporate systems and terrorist postal bombers. Yes, sort of. I mean, it's a. I didn't know about sort of jumping into this immediately, but it's a funny old fish, this one, politically. It's all over the place. Mm hmm. It's still very good. I thought it was really a cracker of an old school, mm. scary Doctor Who yep. guest cast hit it out of the park. Mm -hmm. Lee Mack is Toasty McToastface because uh, as soon as the little pendant came up, you thought, "Oh yeah, don't oh, go yes. into the yeah, cellars." Yeah, again, the most egregious of um, telegraphing. <laughs> and, and was it just me, or did you get the vibe of autons and daffodils with teammates and bubble wrap? Oh, the missus absolutely as soon as the Kablam men sort of turned up, she said, oh, this, is this going to be another Auton story? And I said, no, knowing enough. But mm. the bubble wrap didn't really grab me until, you know, I jokingly said when uh, poor Kira goes to open the box, I said, ah, then it's just going to be bubble wrap. And it was. Mm. <laughs> and then I thought, ah, oh. And then everything started falling into place. Mm. I have a bone to pick with bubble wrap with the rest of the world, Dave. Because I think if the story were um, to be real, and if I were part of it, I'd be absolutely fine. 
because I'm hearing that apparently it's human nature to never be able to resist popping bubble wrap. I bloody well can, and I do. <laughs> I can, but that's because I've had bubble wrap in my life for about 20 or 30 years. Yeah, yeah. But when my kids, when they get hold of the bubble wrap, it's like poppy, poppy, pop. Mm. So watching it with the kids, watching their faces as the realisation that the deadly weapon is bubble wrap, uh, especially for my son, who's the bubble wrap, wrap fiend in the house. <laughs> uh, it was like, oh, wow, that's totally mind-blowing, man. When, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, Stephen Moffat must be kicking himself. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very Doctor Who traditional Yeti on the loo type thing. Take a mundane thing and make it make it scary. Yeah. I didn't think it was particularly scary, but it's about as mundane as strawberries, and whoever thought anyone at the distribution yard would do anything with those. Ah, yes, yes, sabotaged strawberries in Australia and New Zealand, um, mm. thanks to a disgruntled worker. Mm. Who'd have thunk it? Art imitating life. Mm. Again, the sort of the politics of it, it, it perplexes me, because uh, I'd always sort of thought the Doctor was sort of vaguely Marxist in approach. I mean, certainly sort of... Imagining it through the lens of other doctors, you could imagine the doctor sort of whipping up a bit of a rebellion in the workers, or, you know, the, the, the oppressed must have a bit of a say in this. That's not how it's resolved. And, in fact, all solutions come from management, and I don't know. I think the that's why the turnaround that... I, I mean, I sort of twigged a bit early, but not not too early enough to be not surprised by it, the turnaround that the management was the one asking for help, mm. the system needed the assistance, was so surprising because normally you're expecting all the robots to, robots of death in a sand miner go mad and eyes light up and mm. kill everybody. Mm. So while, while I saw the system thing coming along, the whole thing with Charlie being the villain, going postal. it was a manash all over again, but without the psychotic glasses. Well, my remark um, when he was unveiled was uh, I turned to her and Dawes and said, this is Scooby-Doo 101. It's always the janitor. I thought I thought it was quite a cute <laughs> thing. The doctor was originally designated the premium maintenance supervisor. A callback to... Um, the caretaker. The th and the third doctor being a cleaner in, mm. <laughs> in The Green Death. Another corporate sabotage classic. If she'd kept that role... Yes! <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit like tucking away the TARDIS for an episode, just conveniently. That would be far too easy. Yeah, well, fair enough. I, I thought the, the last two episodes, the Demons of the Punjab and Kablam, mm. have really lifted my spirits about the season. Mm. Even Sarunga, I enjoyed more than I had the earlier front half. Mm. So I'm coming from the halfway point to the, the third quarter on a bit of an upward beat. I'm, I was enjoying it. That's good, yeah. Um, I, I, I thought the, the guest cast had an excellent show of things. I was really actually quite sad to see Kira go. Oh, yes. I think I may have even said, oh, no, <laughs> as soon as it happened. Like, I only know Judy Hesmond-Haig from uh, basically ads for Coronation Street. I know I know the character of Hayley and, and sort of some of the history oh, right, of that yes. character. And, of course, she's in Broadchurch as well, both seasons. But I thought she was all right, too. In fact, there were some funny things with her mannerisms where I thought... She's almost quite robotic, mm. knowing that, of course, she's human, and, of course, she's head of the, the human task force there, but thought, is the actor actually sort of slipping in some of those mannerisms to sort of indicate that even though her personnel are the organics, 
she's maybe around androids just a little bit too much. <laughs> well, again, is ten percent enough? Maybe, but yeah, maybe, yeah. And Lee Mack, um, lovely to see Lee Mack. I mm. do enjoy him and um, Would I Lie to You? And he's also in the Unbelievable Truth, isn't he? Occasionally, yeah, he's he's a regular on that. He's he's on QI a lot. He's a nice face to see enjoying. I I have a funny feeling. I haven't looked at looked into it, but I suspect it's a bit like um, Frank Skinner and Mummy on the Orient Express, where you know, this is probably the dream of a, a of a small Lee Max come true. Maybe. I was rather affected by his uh, his wee speech about his daughter. Mm. I don't know if it's necessarily been received the same universally. I think more more the, the the fate of poor Dan Cooper and the fact that he's, you know, away from his daughter for a year and then mm. of course, you know, does his big retirement speech and we're gonna buy a little house in the country, blah blah blah, boom. Mm. That's it. But the fact that he sort of says, you know, this is my lot. And this is what I am. I'm a dad. Mm. Absolutely rings true. I remember when Junior was born, I remember having those same thought processes. And I was actually talking to the missus about that too. Is this that, you know, when that happens, things change. Mm. Uh, and this might sound like a cliche and people might be rolling their eyes listening to this, but I do remember it being a conscious thing that a lot of those sort of individual ambitions and so forth, they just don't matter anymore. Mm. You know, there's a bigger purpose. Uh, so, that resonated with me. To a lesser extent, Kira's sort of, you know, just being happy. That seemed a little bit unrealistic. But I do like the sentiment that, you know, even though these are supposed to be privileged people with jobs, I've always argued that in the Who universe, someone still has to empty the bins. Mm. And I never liked the Doctor when he and his companions were dismissive of that. I mean, there was elements of Tennant and there were certainly elements of Smith and the mm. likes of Amy's Choice. Where it just wound me up and said, you know, Everybody can dream of going out and exploring the universe, but the reality is those bins. Yes. <laughs> and that's what you're fighting for. Mm. You're not fighting for the Clara who gets to go and see all of time and space. You're actually fighting for the stability of worlds mm. and things being normal. There we are. That's my big speech. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> sorry, you've, you've thrown me for six with your moving, yeah, sorry. moving points. <laughs> so as you said, we've gone from the middle half to the, the latter quarter. The past three episodes, you're not that convinced about Saranga Kablam? Yeah, I enjoyed Kablam. You know, I was I was diverted. I it was a guessing game. Um, I was glad that the baddie wasn't the Lemac. Mm. And as I say, I know it's sort of politically, it's it's a bit sort of all over the place. I guess maybe in a way, it sort of enables people from all walks to at least sort of get something out of it. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. No. As we go further back in, Rosa was a hit out of the park. Really enjoyed um, Punjab, although, you know, enjoyed was maybe the wrong word. Mm -hmm. Ghost Monument and Eight-Legged Freaks. Uh, what was it? Arachnids in the UK. Sheffield Webster. Mm. Sheffield Webster, yes. Eh. You know, I, I think where some have said that the likes of Kablang, nearly said Kerrang, uh, Kablang would have been a, a, a middling Smith or Tenant, I don't think the likes of um, Arachnids would have made middling of the previous Doctors. I don't think Kablam would have worked as well with the other Doctors, because as you say, they would have made a meal of the politics of it all, rather than having a quiet episode where the companions, who are what sells it to me a bit more... I mean, the, doctor, mm -hmm. the Doctor's new personality has settled down into someone who's a bit manic and babbly anyway, which is fine, mm -hmm. that's, that's how we're going to play it. But as a result, it makes I find it makes the companions more important touchstones. And you could have never had Clara wrapping things in bubble wrap and being mundane. No. She she would have been trying to organise a workers' union or something. 
Mm. Yeah, you could you could have done it with Rose. You could have done it with Rory. You might have got away with it with Donna. Not Amy. Amy, the model, would have been clamoring to be on the poster <laughs> instead of Lee Mack. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the Kablam works really well with the TARDIS crew rather than with the Chibnallera, if mm. that makes a bit more sense. That's, that's the p- specific thing that makes it a good Whitaker story rather than an average tenant one. Mm. I guess in, in reference to the TARDIS crew then and the, the, um, the Whitaker era, do you think the TARDIS is about the right number in terms of people on board? Was it one too many? Is it balanced about right? It feels balanced about right with one too many, but because the balance is right between them, if you took any one of them out, it wouldn't work as well. Yeah, and yet one of my notes for Demons of the Punjab is, yay, Graham actually says something to Yaz. That's, that's the first time they actually have a conversation. <laughs> Episode six. Yeah, there's not enough for all three of them to be doing all their stuff at once. Mm. But in every episode, each one gets to shine in a different way, but not consistently all at the same time throughout. So there, there, there is a funny little pacing problem with three of them. Yeah. But I can't say you are surplus to requirements because each of them brings something to the table that works. Mm, see, I almost think I could. Uh, early on in our little series, I think I, I said that I felt that um, Ryan was the hub of everything. Ryan is the old schoolmate of years. Mm. He's the grandson-ish of Graham. And so he's in the middle of the circle. But if you put him in the middle, I think there's a clear top and there's a clear bottom. And I don't think that's really changed over this season, even with the likes of Demons of the Punjab. Bradley Walsh's Graham's just clearly running away with his scenes. Yeah, but is that to the detriment of everything else? I mean, I, I did ask myself during Kablam, is Graham actually 310? Because he's just a little bit too casual with all this stuff. Oh, he, he absolutely drops that. No, no, and who's he talking to? He's talking to uh, Charlie. Uh, Charlie, yeah. Who says absolutely nothing. <laughs> that, was a, that was interesting. <laughs> but Yaz is a touchstone for other elements of the show. I think I'd like to see a little bit more of Yaz mm. coming to the fore, and I don't know whether we're going to see it. I mean, there's possibilities. Oh, we just don't know so little about what's coming up. I have a horrible feeling the Graham Ryan fist bump granddad thing is going to end tragically and it will be a parting shot as one of them departs well if you're referencing graham's medical history i found it interesting that that didn't seem to be picked up in the scan in uh kablam they picked up the doctor's double heart or, or Saranga. yeah mm, that's a good point mm. i mean you know what it's like having to get your insurance renewed <laughs> it's any little thing in your medical history I hadn't thought of that at all, but that's a that's a very interesting point. Hmm. Unless it's uh, one of these things that sort of comes and goes uh, as the plot dictates, such you know, like 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 Ryan's dyspraxia. Yeah, which is always the case with Doctor Who. Yeah. Hmm. Are you enjoying the Doctor? Uh, um. Oh no. <laughs> no, I'm not not enjoying the Doctor, and it's interesting because it's I'm I'm trying to think critically about it. And it's like, well, she is a bit annoying sometimes, but so was Mm. Capaldi and so was Smith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an element of, okay, she's landed, but maybe it's the fact there's so many people in the TARDIS or maybe, and you're watching the interactions of all the other companions and then the interactions with the Doctor, Mm. that you haven't quite got a concrete feel for it. 
I don't think it's a problem with Whitaker or the characterization or something, but just bits of it still seem to be feeling a bit sketched in. Mm. But I think that's in the nature of the scripts and the pacing rather than the character. I don't know. What, what's your feeling on it? I just sort of feel like I'm sure it's one of the Haining books I've got, the Peter Haining mm. books, where, where one of the doctors, probably Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy, sort of says, you're not the doctor until you've met the Daleks. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Just thinking, do we, is that it? Do we need something that's a bit more... You know, this is the Doctor Who that people relate to. When they see Doctor Who, this is what they see. Mm. To actually put the Doctor in that context so people could say, yep, Jodie Whittaker is the Doctor. I mean, I can appreciate jumping on points, and yours was Taranga and mine is Kablam. Mm. And they're fine. I mean, you and I have been watching this for years, and we'll probably continue to watch it. Mm. (laughs) But the season is such an odd all season and that so many of those recognizable elements of the past years have been removed or avoided mm. and i wouldn't necessarily say to its detriment I, 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 it's really refreshing in fact that's you know the root of my complaint about Saranga's. you know i've got a whole volume on me it's just something that we've seen before several times does that also mean that with so much that's new the doctor being new just becomes one of those new things rather than a sort of anchor of recognition i don't know yeah yeah I, I'm not disliking the season. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with it. I think it's great because my kids are watching it and enjoying it. But there is some sort of anchor element that's not quite sticking for me. Mm. And it's good, but I haven't had the classic fan punch the ear moment for some reason. No. And now you mention it, the Doctor has been very passive in all the stories. Mm Mm-hmm. Rosa and Demons of the Punjab, history has to take its course. And while there's lots of running around, there's not much doing anything. There's not a lot of moral outrage either. Her speeches have not been big, loud. I mean, again, I I don't miss those big Pandorica-style speeches either. And while I appreciated her sort of taking the strip off Java Slade, saying Mm. basically, you know, be nice. (laughs) Management goes both ways. Yeah, good lesson. But a funny sort of one for, for the Doctor, or, or certainly the Doctor of the last few years. Well, compare her talking to Charlie, you know, the terrorist bomber, mm. and compare that discussion with the not-on-my-watch speech that Peter Capaldi got to smash out of a park with the, the Zygon stories. Yes. And we've seen Jodie Whittaker act in other things. I've seen there's a wonderful thing David Lawrence Reference me to where she's doing uh, mm, Antigone, mm, Antigone with, yeah. with Christopher Eccleston, and she's just wringing it for, completely for emotion. Of course, I mean, it's the nature of the play as well. I mean, it's it's built around an impassioned plea. <laughs> yes, and again, it's probably a, a bad comparison, but comparing talking to the the guy who's trying to blow up a planet full of people in Kablam mm. with the aliens who are trying to, you know, all of it's very, very lightly glossed over speeches about important stuff in the real world, Mm. there's a lack of punch to it. There's a lack of oomph there. Maybe Mm. that's what's missing. I don't know. I hadn't actually thought about it. Kablam is a shop of little horror. It's a shop of little horror. Mm. (laughs) There's our episode title. (laughs) Maybe. But yeah, but maybe that's that's it. Uh, and, and actually, that's that's another strand of, of what I was going to talk about um, tonight, Dave. Is that talking about the year that's, that's that's going in this in this season? Because it's not an arc. There's not an element of sort of escalation. I don't think there has to be an arc. No, no, no. I, but I you're agree. right. There is a lack of but... something progressing and pushing. Mm. 
maybe stake. Mm. There's no mystery to solve. There's no countdown occurring. You know, there's no deadline. The Doctor doesn't have, you know, so many hours to li- left to live for. Mm. Who is Saxon or anything like that. It's just trotting along. And because we haven't had the lack of that for so many years, mm. is that our problem or the show's problem? I think it's the show's problem. I think that maybe if there was something a bit more at stake for a new Doctor, that might cement the new Doctor's character mm. a little bit more as, is this a Doctor who reacts? Is this a Doctor who is proactive or reactive? Uh, what are they like thinking on their feet? Can they amass an army of regular people or regular aliens? You know, Can they do all of those things? But when there's no through line, you're just left with a whole lot of different situations and it's a bit like dipping a different finger into the water every time. You're really not quite sure where the continuity is. And there are all these references, and it's a traditional Doctor Who thing, have references to stories about killer death turtles and other Mm. things, and you're sort of looking at it going, oh, that would be an interesting story to see. Um, And you sort of said there's no escalation. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, none of the stories are particularly threatening. No, they're they're not. And and we've sort of had a bit of contained frustration there, with the exception of Kablam, and even that sort of morally spurious, I suppose. The baddie not getting their comeuppance, the baddie teleporting away, the baddie being jettisoned out of an airlock, and the, even even that's not a baddie, the, the pating. A lot of those traditional things are sort of have been cast away. And it sort of goes back to what I was sort of saying, is you know, where's the anchor in this? What, do we call this Doctor Who? <laughs> um, ooh, well, okay. Okay, sorry, just rewind a bit to yeah, the yeah. threat thing. Mm. So in, in Saronga, the pating isn't really... A villain and it's destroying the ship, but it's mm. like a force of nature yeah. and really it's a bit cutesy and it's an entropy thing. And in Demons of the Punjab, it, the, the, ba- the villains aren't the villains and, mm. and you sort of know how it's going to end anyway because it's not Yaz's granddad and so something tragic's going to happen because she doesn't want to talk about it. So there's no escalation of the threat throughout the story. The story is about watching how the tragedy unfolds. It's almost like the traditional mode of the Doctor Who story is being challenged. Mm. And even in Kablam, the people who are being really threatened by it Mm. are the consumers who are faceless people off on another planet. And your baddie is going to be a mass murderer, but he's clearly unhinged, which, again, gives you pause. And lovesick. It adds depth to the character, but sort of, you know, like I said... In both Demons and Kablam, the the unmasking of the villain was like, oh, mm. really? I don't I didn't spot that till you put the evil glasses on. Well, there are no evil glasses. Charlie is not a moustache twirling badden. He's a person who needs help, and he doesn't get it in the end. Mm. It is problematic. Um, but yes, in general, the baddies are nebulous. The threat is sometimes hard to discern. Mm. And I wonder, you know, even in terms of a through line without an arc, and I really don't miss the arc, but at the same time, having a through line that sort of allows us to see how the doctor reacts to something which might be growing or there's a mystery to solve, you know, something that actually anchors this doctor Mm. or drives them towards a particular conclusion just might be what we're missing here. There is definitely an anchor stray somehow. Mm. The Doctor's metal's not been tested yet. Yes, it's very lightweight steel. Mm. Which is odd for Sheffield. Yes, quite. (laughs) 
Speaking of uh, lightweight Sheffield steel, I've developed a theory that the reason that Jodie Whittaker's Doctor always assumes the same arm's length stance whenever she's using the Sonic is the Doctor's not quite sure when the Sonic might explode next. That has happened a couple of... You know, it has been gobbled on and popped and sparked. Mm. I think we have arrived at Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, and I think this Doctor's going to be a passive enabler. Mm. And that's maybe not a bad thing if... The stories are strong enough and the characters and the supporting cast are strong enough to carry that. I mean, certainly there's no shortage of people to inspire and to rally and, mm. and, and, and do those sorts of things. And as I say, I don't mind the Doctor not being in the middle of the story. I would have liked to see the first female Doctor be a bit more proactive and a bit more concrete a character rather than being a passive character. I'm not saying she has to be Xena. Mm. Or Miss Fisher, who can do bloody everything. <laughs> Miss Fisher's mysteries. So upbeat about this run of stories and looking forward to the final three? Certainly for myself, it's on an upward trajectory. I was concerned after Arachnids in the UK and after not really enjoying Saranga Conundrum particularly. Uh, we got two pretty strong episodes, particularly with Demons and uh, an enjoyable episode in Kablam. It's been called very traditional and yes, you know, elements of McCoy, elements of maybe Sunmakers. It's also confused in its politics. But I think... It's headed in the right direction, mm. and yes, I am looking forward to which hunters. And if I wasn't enjoying it, there are only three episodes to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> enjoying Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, I think, despite all of those reservations, it's a new way for the Doctor to be. Mm. Maybe a little bit more proactivity would be useful, and certainly I agree with you, a bit more Sheffield Steel. Yeah. But I also don't mind taking a bit of a step back and less grandstanding. That grandstanding was really tiring. Mm. Companions, I think quietly we might be one too many. It's a shame. I like Yaz, um, and I would like to see more. Yes. But who knows? As you say, we, we could be surprised by the way things turn out by the end of the season, and we've not very far to go. And so we will catch you next time, dear listeners, for the final three episodes of the season and mm -hmm. probably maybe a bit more of a concrete, less rambly season roundup. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> we are Beyond the Sofa. We are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We have a Facebook page. You can drop us a review at iTunes. We never see them because of the way iTunes' regions codings work. Ho, ho. If you see them, please let us know. <laughs> we are on Twitter. You can contact us at Sofageddon. We're also on WordPress. And we have uh, Gmail at sofageddon at gmail.com. So until next time, it's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good, good night. Postman Pat, Postman Pat, Postman Pat, and his black and white cat. Early in the morning, just as day is dawning, he picks up all the post bags in his van. 